This is episode number 136 of the Rising Man podcast with James Silvis. Your mind is designed for survival, not greatness. Welcome back to the Rising Man podcast. Big love to all you risers out there, the men in our community, the women in our community, just the whole Rising Man fam. I want to truly thank you for joining me today, for being a part of what we're doing here. If you don't know me already, my name is Jedi Azuma. I'm the host and creator of the podcast, as well as the founder of the Rising Man Movement. And what we're about here is initiating an entire generation of men into leadership and powerful purpose to usher in the next generation of male leaders that we need to create a powerful community, to create a powerful future for our children, for all the children on this planet. I know we can do better. I know that there's more room between us now and our best to make this world a better, safer place for all of humanity. And so that's what we're up to here. If you're tuning in, there's a part of you that cares about that. There's a part of you that's invested in it. And the reality is, is that we're all participating in that. We are all responsible for ushering in that future for our children, for everyone out there. So I thank you for joining us and I thank you for being a participant in that. And I invite you, especially the men out there, that before you even get into today's episode, go take a visit to risingman.org. This is where you can find all the opportunities for becoming a bigger part of our community, whether it's jumping into our virtual men's fire circles or jumping onto a men's team for our next round of Inferno with me for the next 12 weeks, or coming out with us for a four-day vision fast to clarify your purpose and your direction in life. Whatever it is, there's another level for you. There's another level for you to lean in more, to get more out of the life that you came here to have, to become who you were meant to be. And we're just waiting here to help you out. So go take that leap today. Go figure out what that is. If you're already in the fire circles, consider jumping into Inferno develop your leadership. If you've already been through fire circles and inferno, then think about compass. Really feel into your heart. Is going out and fasting and declaring your passage from boyhood into manhood once and for all in ceremony the thing that you need to do next? Go to risingman.org. Go check it out. Send that link to a brother. Any way that you can perpetuate this message that we've got, that's what we're asking. That's what we're looking for. All right. Let me introduce my guest for today. James Silvis is a mindset specialist and peak performance coach with over 13,000 hours of training experience working with high-performing teams such as Caesars, MGM, and ADT. He studied under 4X world-renowned mental performance coach, Dr. Mark Guadagnoli, while attaining his degree in kinesiology at UNLV. He's worked with over 7,000 people on developing and strengthening the mindset that will take individuals and teams to the next level. He's the founder of Be That 1%, a movement and brand that inspires others to be the one that lives life on their terms, overcomes obstacles, and does what 99% of others won't. He hosts the Be That 1% podcast, which has reached over 70 countries and continues to grow. His passion to serve, combined with his obsession to understand the mind, helps others develop the right mindset to live life on their terms. And you guys know how important that message is to me. So in this episode, James completely blew my mind when it comes to understanding how our brains work and what motivates us. First, we revisited the definition of responsibility and why there is an inherent blaming and guilt associated with that word responsibility. Next, we dove deep into the discovery of the mind. What motivates us? Why are we so driven towards survival and why it's difficult for us to take risk? 
James shared some strategies and tips to begin orienting our mindset and beliefs towards greatness instead of survival. And last but not least, we touched on becoming a new father because James just had his first son. Congratulations again. And keeping a level head during that time of new fatherhood. So without further ado, I present to you James Silvis. All right, Rising Man crew, I got another amazing man joining me here today, my bro out there in Sin City, James Silvis. How you doing, man? Bro, I'm excited, grateful to be here and looking forward to diving in deep. Yes, sir. Bring in with you all that wisdom, the mindset specialist and also a new dad. So yes. <laughs> congratulations <laughs> right. and lots of awesome wisdom to bring. Before we jump into all the crazy mind stuff that I'm fascinated about and can't wait to get into, biggest lesson you've had so far about fatherhood? Hmm that love is really what life is about. And the more responsibility you take on, the deeper love you get to experience. And my son opened up parts of my heart that I never thought was there and has shifted my lens on how I view people and how I view the world. And I loved what I did before, but I love it even more now. So it's just love. I deeply resonate with that, man. In fact, I often talk about that when people ask me about fatherhood. It's I've accessed parts of my heart I didn't even know existed. When I first laid eyes on my son, it was like a cellular shift in my body. It was just like, oh my God, I had no idea I could feel this way about another human being. So totally get that, man. Really excited for you. Thank you, man. Yeah, it's a journey. I'm looking forward to the years to come. Yeah. And it'll be something good to lean on too. I find that in the times where it's hard to be a husband, hard to be a father, that whenever I can reconnect back to that feeling of love, that pure feeling of love and that heart explosion that happened inside of that hospital my son was born, it helps to redirect and get me back on my path when I'm off center. I 100% resonate with that. And being that 2020 is the year that it is, he has anchored me more than just about anything, you know? So grateful for that. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, man. Amazing. And big shout out to your wife, man. I, th I don't think when we bring guys in here, we talk about fatherhood, but man, what these women can do when they become mothers. Oh my God. I mean, let me ask you one more, man. What did you learn about your wife when you watched her give birth to your son? That she is the strength that she had to endure for the nine months leading up to it, but then the laboring process. And for her, she had to be stitched up and it was just a process. And she did it willingly and obviously she didn't have a choice, but she was so conscious of every step of the process. And I just respected her in such a way that I loved her even more. And she's way stronger than I am. And I'm okay admitting that. And I think that women, they are the most powerful creatures, humans on the planet. It's my firm opinion and my belief. They can create life. They can destroy life. The feminine is just a, a beautiful energy. And when it's really cultivated and owned, it could be a powerful force. And that's what I witnessed in that room. Amazing, man. I just echo that 100%. I won't even say anything else. Like that's just, that's just real talk right there. And all the mamas out there, anyone who's given birth to a human being, I mean, just, it's real. It's real. Okay. Well, let's use that as a pivot point, right? You just spoke so glowingly about your wife and about the feminine and about women. So what does it mean to be a man? I think for me, 
being a man means you accept responsibility for your life, meaning that your success and your quote unquote failure is 100% in your hands. And it's your job to cultivate a mind, a mindset and an emotional savviness to be able to withstand all of the challenges and obstacles that life is going to throw at you, you know, and a man I think is needs to be deeply rooted in purpose and ultimately in service to others. And I think when, when a masculine man can really root into those two things, life not only becomes more meaningful, but his surroundings change. They transform. The energy and the vibrancy that comes from a service to something bigger than you not only changes you, it changes your world. It changes the world. So I think that's what it is to be a man. Mm. And I love that, man. That's one of the most common responses I get when I ask that question. And I always think about the guy who's listening to this somewhere out in Indiana saying, yeah, but what about the guy who just rear-ended me? I was literally sitting at the stoplight, minding my own business, and someone plowed into my ass. How is that my responsibility? So what do you, <laughs> what do you say to that guy? Yeah, your responsibility is how you respond to that right? Because life's going to throw you challenges and that would just be under the category of challenge. And so are you going to fold and become reactive and do something that later will bite you in the ass and that you might be sued or you might do something to someone that you don't really want to do and out of frustration, you just take it out on that? Or are you rooted enough in your awareness to know what's coming through your body, what thoughts are going through your mind? And then at that point, getting to consciously choose which ones you're going to feel and which thoughts you're going to think that ultimately result in the type of action you want to take, which always correlates to the type of person that you want to be. And every day, all day, we're being tested. And so how well are you doing? Are you passing? Are you failing? And you make up those metrics, not me, but I think all of us have an idea of who we want to be. And we got to ask ourselves, how often are we being that person? (sighs) hundred percent, man. I love the way you said that. And in hearing people who have that response, who are like, how is that possibly my responsibility? I realized that there's this underlying assignment of guilt that we associate with responsibility that when we say the word responsibility, who's responsible here, it's almost suggesting who's guilty, who's at fault, who's to blame for the outcome of this event versus the pure definition of the word, the ability to respond. In that moment, even if something happens to you, lightning strikes you. How did I, I didn't throw a bolt of lightning down on myself, but how did I respond? What was my ability to respond in that moment? I love that you bring it back to just that pure definition of what it really is all about. Because if we look at it that way, then I have the power in every situation in my life to do something about it. If I don't, if I don't assume responsibility or I don't engage my choice or my ability to respond, then it perpetuates that victim mindset that so many people are walking around in the world with. And I know you're the mindset specialist, so, you know. (laughs) And sometimes we don't even realize that we're doing it. Exactly, exactly. That's how fast it happens. It's so quick, so quick, man. So that's great. I love that. I love that you talk responsibility when talking about what it means to be a man. I always ask this question too, is what is the difference between a boy and a man? Maybe even relative to responsibility. I think there's a couple components to that. I think when you're a boy, you're learning new things and you experience pain, a lot of pain. And I think the transition from boyhood to manhood is understanding the pains or the traumas that you've experienced and owning them. Because through owning those pains and those traumas, valuable life lessons emerge. And those life lessons allow you to operate with a level of wisdom, frameworks that your mind can think it's an optimized way of thinking. 
if you're carrying your traumas and your hurts into adulthood, you're only going to continue to live your childhood. And so it isn't until you evolve and mature and accept and heal and forgive and adjust that you can really start creating some good things in your life. So I think that's a huge component. Yeah. Which uh, to me, I'm hearing the same thing. I'm hearing responsibility about the things that we were given. You know, a, a child can't control whether they're not, they get sexually abused. A child cannot control if they have a serious physical ailment that changes the trajectory of their life. But again, that ability to respond that comes with maturing, that comes with growth and facing off with the hand that we're dealt, right? I mean, that's kind of how I think of it. It's like when you're playing poker, it's like, all right, these are the cards you were dealt. Do you want to keep playing? <laughs> do you, exactly. you want to fold? Do you want to ante up? What do you want to do? There's a quote that says, heal the boy and the man will appear. And I love that. It's so simple and yet so profound at the same time. And if we don't heal who we were, then our fullest expression can't come out. It can't emerge. There's no uniqueness. And so we'll spend the rest of our lives trying to pretend to be something in order to be accepted by someone that we think we, we should be accepted by. And then that puts unnecessary expectations on the people that you surround yourself with rather than taking full ownership to establish independence. You'll be codependent on environments and people that you don't even realize are happening or that's around you. And so it's on you to really understand all the dynamics that you, you possess and you don't necessarily have to go back to the root of every single one, but you got to pull on some threads deep enough to know, or else you're going to just going to be repeating the same thing. Damn, dude. That's it. We're done. Let's quit the podcast now. I mean, just in the first 10 minutes, you're just dropping bombs left and right, man. That's, go back and rewind, listen to that five times, and then you know, continue with the rest of the podcast here. <laughs> that was awesome, man. Thank you. I've spent my entire life really trying to understand how the mind works. And my professor who I learned a lot of this from, who kind of like inspired me to start my journey. I'd never forget the first day of class. We walk in and he has everyone sit down and he's like, I want you to unlearn everything that you've learned and learn it again consciously. And I didn't understand that. And I was like, what does that even mean? Unlearn what I've learned? I don't even know what I know. But that's the thing. That's where you start. And then you start pulling on threads and you start seeing themes and patterns and you start tracing it back. And then one idea begins to emerge. You're like, oh my gosh, that's where it came from. And then that sparks something else. And the closer you get to your own uniqueness, the more transparent your life becomes, the more truth you operate from, the more you attract your tribe that resonates with you and supports you on your growth. And a whole bunch of other things align when you start that process. But it's not easy. It's very painful. And you have to relive things that you've tried your whole life to forget or to pretend didn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. This is one of those things where you got to really make sure you read the fine print on the brochure. This is not an easy journey. It's painful. You'll learn things about yourself that you don't want to see and you got to have the courage to face off with them. I mean, and it's a long journey. It never ends. Once you start, it's like a roller coaster you can't get off of. <laughs> You're so right. <laughs> so be ready. Be ready for that. And of course, the reward is worth the investment of time, energy, effort, and emotion to make it happen. But yeah, I think it's important to mention that too. Like you said, it's painful. It hurts. It hurts to see these things about ourselves. But I've learned that the sooner I can let go of what I thought about myself, the opinion I had about myself before it was turned around and I actually looked at it in the mirror, that I can, I can grow through it. I can move past it. And because I care more about who I can become than who I've been or whatever that meant. There's so much possibility out there. And 
I'm curious how you figured out how to engage with that process. Cause that's a big question or that's a big thing to live into is unlearn everything that you've learned. How does someone engage with that process? Yeah. So it's a great question. Naturally, I've always been the type of person that wants to grow. I think I've naturally from an early age adopted a growth mindset, thanks to my parents and my environment. So I come equipped with a natural curiosity to want to like learn and, and grow. So when he posed that question, that first day of class, a couple classes later, I found him, I went to go like to his office and say, Hey, what did you mean by that? And I don't know where to, I literally asked, I don't know where to start. Like, what do I do? And he's like, start with who you were as a child. Ask yourself, who were your parents? Who did you have to be for your parents? What did you learn? What did you like? What did you not like? And just start there. And that was still hard because it's hard for you to work through your own things when it's just you. You know, you sometimes need either an outside influence to spark the conversation that then you can follow up with or to have someone there where you can pitch back and forth so you can catch yourself in your bias. You know, like there's a phrase is you can't tell the label when you're inside the jar, right? And so having that outside perspective lets you know, it's like, I think I'm ketchup, but really I'm mustard. And I don't know until someone says, yo, your ketchup, bro, you know? And so I think it's a mixture of having the innate curiosity, asking the right questions, and then having outside perspectives that from sources that you trust that have a very good way of looking at the world that you want to either mirror or be more like, and then inviting some of that counsel and that feedback to facilitate your growth. Yeah, man. I totally agree with that. I think that's the value of having like a coach or a mentor or a men's team, a men's circle that you trust. Like you said, that trust factor is so important that you're, if you look around the circle and you see eight other people who are all saying that you're ketchup and you're like, fuck you guys, I'm mustard. Quit it. I'm mustard. Who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe eight other people or are you going to believe yourself? To me, that's always been the power of circles and or mentors or other people that you're willing to hand over that curiosity and, and to humble yourself, you know, to really just say, hey, I don't have it all figured out. I don't need to. Uh, to me, that's one of the hard parts. That, has that always been easy for you to just kind of come at it and approach it humbly? You know, my parents did a really good job of instilling that. And my mom mirrored that beautifully. Like she is the type of person that can make anyone feel comfortable around her. She's the person that listens intently. Like there's nothing else happening in the world when you talk to her. And because of that, you feel seen, you feel appreciated, you feel validated. And it's just not have to say anything. And so I mirrored her ability to do that. And I think that that's why naturally coaching just became a thing that, that was just born out of me. There was that. And then my dad was very disciplined and motivated and just wanted to constantly see what the limit was. And so I think when you combine those two, you want the feedback and you want to listen so that you can make sure you're seeing things that you can't see or there are opportunities that you don't even know are there that you could take advantage of and expedite your journey or get there faster, go deeper, get higher, like whatever the thing is that you want to do. Having my mom and my dad kind of balance those two skills, I think was helpful. Heck yeah, man. Yeah. You're like the product of two incredible people, it sounds like. And you know, maybe not everybody has had that upbringing. You know, some people have had harder upbringings. Maybe one parent was absent or both parents were unconscious or unavailable on that level. And I'll say this, you know, I've had a couple conversations with you at this point, really only two or three, and you're an awesome human being, but I don't think that you've got something that nobody else is capable of. Like every one of us can access this regardless of your environment. There's still that part that you're 
in command of, I guess, going back to responsibility that you could still be the master of your destiny. Exactly. It's a responsibility to the purpose. And there's a purpose that I live my life by. And that purpose is to impact others, to serve others, to help others break through fear, to help them think deeper, to help them take action, to live the life that they want. Like that is why I exist. And so every spare moment is geared towards living in alignment with that purpose. And so people will say, well, you're really good at this. Well, I wasn't always this good. This is decades of intentional time to improving, reading, writing, talking, failing, one-on-one, group, different country, internal reflection, journaling, therapy, time, 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 time. And all of that just, it builds a level of skill. That's mastery. Mastery isn't a destination, it's a process. And so I just commit to the process. And as I do that, I naturally get better over and over and over. But I'm not measuring how much I'm getting better. It's just, I know I'm getting better because I'm just in the process all the time. (laughs) You know, it's kind of weird. Yeah, at least I know my process has been taking my attention off of the result so that I can just be in the process and then having these checkpoints where I circle back. You know, I I did a solo episode a few weeks back on my birthday and I was just saying how on my birthday, for me, it's such a great bookmark. Like every year on my birthday, I can pretty much remember exactly where I was and what I did for my birthday the year past. And it's like these two chapter titles and I can look at everything in between. How did this past year go? How was I doing? Even just trying it on, where was I? What was my mindset? What mattered to me a year ago? And then look at it today. And that's when it's like, oh, wow, I've come a long way. I've implemented a lot of things this year, but damn, like I've been doing some work, you know, just, and then celebrate myself, which is another thing I've had to learn how to do. But, but I think, like you said, it's important, man, not to get so fixated. It's good to have the targets to aim for, but not to make hitting the target the most important thing. Correct. Because once you hit the target, there's going to be another target. And so if your identity and your worth is on that target and you hit it, you're going to have this temporary satisfaction only to be met by this unsatiable feeling of I'm never going to get there. It's like, once I make a million dollars, then I'll be taken seriously. But then you make one and you're like, let me get two. You know, it's like, once I get that house, life will be better. But then once you get the house, you're like, maybe I should get a second house. You know, it's like, you just, it never ends. (laughs) I know, man. Stop talking about me like that. You're inside (laughs) my head, man. You're like talking, you're like repeating the dialogue I have in my head back to me. (laughs) Dude, I got caught so many times in that process. It sucks. For sure. For sure. And I love that you can laugh at it too, man, because that's humor is such an important ingredient along the journey to survive just the human experience, I think. So, all right, well, let's pivot then because we got to talk a little bit more about the mind. I know we've been alluding to all these conditions and tendencies we have because we all have a brain. So tell me your perspectives on the mind. How does it function? Why does it work the way that it works? Just some baseline so we know a reference yeah, point. Yeah, absolutely. The brain is fascinating. And the first thing that we got to understand is it's not designed for greatness. It's designed for survival. So when you understand that, there's millennia of conditioning that you have to be aware of or else you're going to be caught in a survival-based life. What does that mean? That means you live mostly off stress, stress for potential threats in your environment. Threats in the old days, obviously, you're tigers and animals and things that could kill us. Now it's job, people, undealt with trauma, all these things that may not initially be seen as a threat, our mind associates as a threat. And so if you want to live a great life or you want to be a part of greatness, 
which I think is just living optimally and, and living within purpose and being happy to the level of which you want to be happy with, then you have to override and rewire that thinking. And so one of the ways you could do that is finding out what your values are and living in alignment with that. Another way is finding a purpose and then taking responsibility. So there's all these components that you can use to, to rewire how you think, but you have to start with the understanding that your brain is only here to protect you. We have all these greater faculties like the neocortex that allows you to have these profound visions of what your future could be like. But if you don't override the, the survival-based thinking, you're never going to live that reality because you're always dealing with the threat, quote unquote, that's right in front of you. So that's where we'll start. Yeah. Let's pick that apart a little bit because I could see there's so much more. I think just appreciating that what you said, that the mind, the brain is designed for survival and that that's what it's always been designed for. In spite of the fact that we have the largest brain of any mammal on the planet, right? I mean, is that still true? And we're capable of all these higher level, higher conscious processes that there is a barrier inside of everyone's brain that we have to learn at first acknowledge that survival's right there. And the only way we can navigate above or around it is to face off with that. What does the survival mindset look like? And it's almost like you're fighting with yourself, right? It's like fighting your shadow. <laughs> you're fighting a mirror of yourself all the time, every time, you know? So it's interesting because from zero to seven, that's the most pivotal point of a human's life. Because in that time frame, you are establishing beliefs that you will probably have for the rest of your life until you become aware of what was formed in that time and begin fine tuning it. So example, if you had a parent that was a single parent, worked a lot of hours, frustrated from the workload and just stress bombarding the system, would tell you all the time that you're never going to be successful. You're going to be a failure. You're never going to make money. You're not going to da da da. That becomes embedded in the mind as a belief. And so when we create a belief about who we are and what we're capable of, we don't see any information that contradicts that. That's all we see. There's a part of the brain called the reticular activating system that is constantly sifting through billions of bits of data per second. And so depending on what your mind sees comes from what you value and what you believe. Quick, fun example. I mean, I'm assuming you bought a car before. Those listening, you probably bought a car. You did some research before you bought that car. You're like, I want this one. I want the sunroof. I want all this. And then you went and bought it. And then you drove it off the lot. And what did you see? That car everywhere. Why is that? Well, in the moment that you bought the car, your reticular activating system became activated. That car became important to you because you own that car. So that car became associated with your identity. So the mind was like, okay, anytime we see this in our environment, we're going to draw this car to James's awareness because it's a part of who he is. So there I am driving down the freeway. I don't even see it consciously. Subconsciously, I'm scanning my environment always because that's what the brain does. And all of a sudden on my right, here comes the car. And all of a sudden my head finds its way to turning up. Oh, there's the car. It's literally how it works. And so if I think that I can never make over $100,000 a year, I'm not going to. If I think that I can't find the love of my life because I'm unlovable, because I never saw it mirrored in my childhood, or my parent told me I would never be lovable, or I had one girlfriend, a boyfriend one time, and it didn't work out. And the belief that I had in that moment was I'll never find love again. You're cutting off all these opportunities. And so your mind is in survival mode to keep your reality the way that you believe it real. And it isn't until you say there's more to life that you slowly start opening the aperture of your lens. You start opening up wider and wider to more information that was always there, but you just didn't know it was there. And you didn't actually take effort to try and think about 
that it was there. And so that starts the process of making more money, finding different people in our life, living with more richness and more fulfillment. It really comes down to challenging why you believe what you believe. Who did you learn it from? What are those beliefs about money, about relationships, about who you are, about your capabilities? And then saying, what do you want to be true? What do you want to see instead? What do you want your RAS to focus on? That's why you know vision boards are pretty valuable resource to use. It's conditioning the mind to say, this is the type of reality that I want to live. This is the type of information I want you to go and find for me in my day to day. And slowly over time, you start picking up on different conversations. You start noticing different interactions. You start speaking up a little bit more, which lead to different environments and different opportunities. And all of a sudden things begin to merge and you're living a different life because you are different. Yeah, man. I love the science stuff because I also have a science background and also that, so there's two things I want to talk about. There's the zero to seven window that is so critical. We've heard about that. Let's just bookmark that for a second. What function did the RAS system play when we were chasing down saber tooth tigers and woolly mammoths? Because I've heard that example before about seeing the car that you bought and that you wanted. How does that actually work for like cavemen? Yeah. So my understanding is when we saw saber-toothed tigers get eaten by another caveman, that became super important information to know. So anything that was associated to that saber tooth, whether it was ruffling in the bushes, whether it was a certain body type of an animal, or it was a noise that that animal made, those all became cues that our mind immediately warned us, run or hide or grab a big staff with a pointed edge and do your best to survive. That's all information that became most important because our life was at stake. So that's to answer that question. And then you kind of fast forward that if my identity is someone that can make over six figures and any other information outside of that six figure mark becomes quote unquote dangerous to my identity. So I have a, a potential quote unquote death of who I am. And so that means I would have to give up who I believe I am to the core in order to become someone new that attracts a different type of reality. That's a psychological death, an ego death, if you will. And it has a similar weight to it than seeing a cyber two tiger. Yeah. Dude, I love that. And I know there's people out there like, James, listen, man, sign me up. I want to be a million. I'm telling you right now, I want to be a millionaire. Where's the pointy stick I need to stab this part of my belief system? But that it's not that simple. Because I think a lot of times we don't realize how much we're fighting for that identity that we're familiar with and how much safety there is tied up to that identity, even if the one we say we want is more appealing. Yes, because the identity is tied to a certain level of control. And I use control in quotations because there really is no control. It ties to your control over what you've experienced thus far. It also is associated to people, family, friends. If you grow, what happens to them? Sometimes your friends want to support you, but not too much to the point where you outgrow them. So they'll subtly, without them even realizing it, sabotage your growth so that you don't leave them. That's one dynamic. Or you don't want to leave them because of all the moments that you've shared. And so you associate growing to another level, meaning letting them go, which may or may not be the case. But if growth is the most important, then your evolution becomes priority. And if they love you enough to be in your life, they'll come with you. And if they don't, then you know what kind of Fred you had the whole time. Yeah. And it's such a baseline fear, right? It's the number one fear that we all have that we won't belong, that we won't have tribe or people or family or community around us if we change. And I believe it's called tall poppy syndrome. 
is one of like the clinical diagnoses where we're afraid to outshine the people that we spend the most time around because we don't want to stand out. And I know that I experienced that with my family and my friends because I used to live on the East Coast, grew up there. And I was so afraid of that there wouldn't be anyone who loved me or was there for me on the other side. And I think it's so important to recognize there's always going to be people there for you. There are 8 billion people on this planet right now. There's got to be a few homies that want to see you living your best life. And if it's not the ones that you grew up with, then that's okay. You don't have to stop loving those people. But if you really want the life you say you want, then you got to start finding some other people to spend your time around. Yes. And if you really want the deep relationships, then you got to be willing to sacrifice you know, and put the work in. They're not going to just come out of nowhere. They come out of your truest expression and your truest expression comes out most times in challenge. And so if you're up leveling, doing things that are outside your comfort zone, that's when you are the most vulnerable, but that's also when you gain the most knowledge. And so it's kind of like a catch 22, but in those growth moments, the right tribe sees your willingness to build whatever it is that you're trying to build. They see the desire and you're like, that is who I am also. And so in those moments where you feel like you're most alone is actually when you're most found and most seen because that's what's rare. That's what we're missing. So many people live in the comfort zone every day, holding back their truths, not having the hard conversations that they know they need to have, pretending everything is okay when it's not. So we have a lot of fronting. And so when you see someone who's willing to have the courage to say, hey, everything's not okay, or I'm willing to let go of who I was in order to be who I want to be, there's a level of like, damn, that's inspiring. And so the people who have done that before will recognize that and say, good shit, man. And the other people who want to be like that will be like, damn, he's inspiring me to do that. So then you uplift people with you. And so it's this beautiful like ripple effect that you have through your own action. Yeah. By the nature of it, that's how we've gotten to where we are now, where we have, you know, this amazingly sophisticated technology in our pocket is because of that ambition and because people kept pushing the line, pushing the edge and back to survival of the fittest, you know, that that's what allowed us to evolve to where we are, especially so rapidly over the relative history of time is that we became a people who kept pushing the edge, kept pushing the limits of what wanted to go past survival, right? Which I think a lot of humans on this planet, some at least some, I don't want to say a lot because I realize there's so many people I don't know, but there's some humans who've transcended that, where that baseline survival is not a thing anymore. It's not a life or death for everyone every day anymore. It's more psychological. Exactly. People are still living it, but they don't know that they don't have to live it. And they're living it differently. It's not really physical, like you said, anymore. It's more mental. And so that's why understanding your mind is so important because you will either be your best friend or your worst enemy. And science also shows that we have 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day, 95% of which are the same as yesterday. And so if you aren't growing, if you aren't challenging, if you aren't trying to see things from a different perspective, then you're getting caught in what you've always believed to be true, which means you'll always experience what you've always experienced. Damn, dude, that just sent me on a rabbit hole. I was like, how the fuck did they count thoughts? <laughs> so you can measure a thought through electricity. And so they have these electrodes hooked up to you and you can see it almost like a heart rate kind of oh, thing. Man. And they count those thoughts. It's insane. That's crazy. Wow. That blew my mind. I'm done for the rest of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be sitting there thinking, how many thoughts did I have yeah, today? Yeah, right? I had like at uh, least 200 thoughts to 200,000 thoughts today. <laughs> Yeah. Like the Fitbit, right? Now they're going to have one for your head. That's like, yeah, I got oh, 600,000 thoughts in today. 
<laughs> they should never post that information. Obviously, we're going to go crazy. Oh, man. Okay, back to that bookmark about the zero to seven, because having children now, especially both my wife and I are in this field. We're both very committed to our growth. It's one of our core family values. And I know, especially with our son, because he's going to be five years old next month, we've had a lot of attention on, oh, are we giving him the best of what we've got in this window? Because we know how vital this window is. And then beating ourselves up for it when we're like, oh, he's doing that thing that we didn't want him to do because he's watching us do it. And I also heard you say that all hope is not lost after that seven year window. So number one, I just wanted to hear about what happens in that window that gets cemented. And then also what can we do about it? later on. Yeah. So the zero to seven is basically you're building the foundation, right? So no matter what foundation you build, a shitty one or a great one, there's still going to need to be work done on that foundation. So let me just put that, like, I got to give myself some grace because no matter the greatest parents are not going to get the most perfect foundation that the highest skyscraper is going to be built on. It's just about how many tools, what framework can I create where I don't have to spend as much tweaking on the foundation and instead can build upon it. And so what's happening in those seven years is your child is having, my child too, is they're building emotional homes. And so there's a series of emotions that they'll feel naturally over the course of time within that time span, based off of your parenting, based off of how you discipline them, based off their interactions and their environments. There's going to be a certain number of emotions that they're going to experience consistently. And so we'll call that an emotional home. Then there's going to be a certain way of thinking that you and your wife are going to instill in him. And so you're cementing a way of thinking and a way of feeling throughout those zero to seven years. And if I grow up in a very stressful state, meaning my parents aren't very zen, they don't know how to handle emotions very well, they don't talk about things and everyone's kind of just walking on eggshells, that's my emotional home. And so as I grow older, I'm gonna search out environments that make me feel that way and I'll think that it feels normal, but really it's just how I was conditioned. And then the belief systems, which go hand in hand, the emotions and the logic, it's kind of a reiteration of that too. It's, it's, you're going to be searching for information and people and environments that are going to make you live what you only know to be true as a way to live. Hmm. Like they call it a... Self-fulfilling prophecy. Exactly, right. So you're like looking for evidence to keep validating what you believe about yourself to be true. Always. What you've experienced. Every moment of the day. And that's why identity is so important. That's why asking yourself, who do I want to be is so important. Going back to what we talked about when we first started the call, do you want to be the type of person that reacts when things happen to them? Or do you want to be the type of person that takes a breath, collects themselves, and then chooses how to respond? Because depending on who you want to be, your actions are going to be very different. But if you don't even ask that question, you're automatically going to go to default because you have no awareness. And if you have no awareness, you have no skill set around it. So there's nothing that you can do except react. And typically you're going to be behind the eight ball in a lot of things. For sure. I agree with you that awareness is that first step. And it, even just getting to that point, it can be years and years and years of work and discovery. I'll be very honest, man. Sometimes I, even in spite of that awareness, I'll see it. I'll be like, oh, there it is. And it's like a softball. I'm like, I'm like gearing up to knock it out of the park. And then I'm like, Ah, fuck it. And I just, <laughs> I just go back to the baseline behavior anyway. And then later on, I'm like, why did I do that? 
I saw it coming down the pipe. I was ready to knock it out of the park and I still chose the other way. So there's still that part of us that has to choose to be different. It does. And that requires thinking and thinking requires energy. And our brains are very lazy, meaning they only want to do the bare minimum. Because if you go back to how our brains initially formed, food was scarce. And so we can't expend more energy than we need to. And so the belief systems the systems of belief that I have, it just works in flow. It works without me having to think about it. So it doesn't take a lot of energy. If I'm wanting to think different, now I have to be meta. And that requires another resource that requires more energy, more juice. And so what you're asking your body to do is spend more energy to think a certain way than to just allow it to do what it's always done. And it's always going to choose the path of least resistance. And so you have to override that voice and say, I'm done living in poverty. I'm done being a certain type of parent. I'm done with toxic relationships. And tell your mind when it wants to be lazy, to bully it sometimes, to say, think this way. This is the upside. If you go back to the way that you've always thought, you're going to be depressed, sad, angry, bitter, alone, whatever, fill in the blank. If you choose to think differently and just upfront invest that energy, that extra energy, then you're going to create a system of optimization that is your natural way of thinking, which means you have a much more optimized life. Mm. Yeah, man. And I know there's somebody listening to this. It's like, oh, that sounds great. But damn, James, that sounds like a lot of work, man. I'm already fucking tired, bro. I'm trying to pay my bills. I'm trying to take care of my baby mama. I'm trying to do it all. Where do I find this energy to do this? How do I muster up the strength to do it? Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. The real simple answer that you're probably not going to want to hear is you won't change unless there's enough pain. So if you are okay with your lifestyle, not meaning you're experiencing something and you want more. That's not what I'm saying. If you are experiencing what you don't want to experience, but it's not painful enough, then you are going to continue to live that life. And I'm not here to judge. I'm just here to point out the truth. And it's not until you decide that you're done with something, not all try it. I'm done with it. That's when change begins. That's when a new way of thinking can emerge. And that's when new action takes place. And that's when relationships start shifting. That's when abundance starts working its way into your reality. That's when you start owning yourself at a different level. And when you start doing that, you'd be surprised at how quick opportunities show up. It'll almost be miraculous at how fast shifts will happen. But until you associate staying the same with pain, enough pain, you won't change. Heck yeah, dude. I mean, I can think of very distinct moments where I actually said those words. I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm done feeling like I'm broke. I'm done living paycheck to paycheck. I'm done losing my cool at my son. All those little moments, I can remember them like they were bookmarks in my life experience. And just like you said, it's one thing when you say like, oh, I don't want this anymore. It's a whole nother one when you say, I'll do anything than being this person anymore. I, I literally can't go on like this. And that's, I think it's the same thing. There's probably the same science around addiction. And these things that we do, these health habits we have with tons of factual evidence-based research that says we shouldn't do it and we do it anyway because the consequences haven't become greater than the comfort, right? Yeah, and so, comfort uh, is addicting. Totally. I think that's at the bottom of everything, right? It's like if you're more committed to your comfort than you are to growth, then you're just going to stay there. And we can't even really have a conversation until you're willing to give up that comfort. Correct. 
And the thing is, is people will settle for comfort because it gives the illusion of safety, but nothing is safe. And if 2020 isn't a good enough reason for you to think that nothing is sturdy and that no matter how job security you thought was like before 2020, like what 2020 is showing you is that no matter what your job is, there is no job security. You know, death in relationships and families, life isn't promised. Nothing is safe. So for you to do things to try and be safe, and obviously this is contextual, but if that's where you're making most of your decisions, then I can kind of paint a picture of how you're going to live. First, you may be quote unquote comfortable short term, but you compound that year after year and it'll start to eat you alive. You'll have regret. You won't have purpose. Your love will be only so deep. Your relationships will begin to shatter because you have no self-respect for yourself because you know you're not pushing your limits. And then you'll see other people rising when you could have risen. And then you'll get jealous, bitter, and a whole bunch of other things will start happening. And so understand that nothing is safe and that the only safety, if there is any, is you trusting in yourself to get through the uncertainty that will inevitably come. Yeah, man. That's it right there. That's the hammer. That's the mic drop because before coronavirus, right? It was, oh man, so-and-so got hit by a drunk driver. That's crazy. Life is so precious. It's so fragile. You could lose it at any moment, but that'll never happen to me. Or all of a sudden a family member gets diagnosed with stage four cancer and they're gone in a month. You're like, oh my God, that was so devastating to see happen to my friend, but but that's not going to happen to my parents. If there's one thing that we got from this coronavirus, it's like, hey, doesn't care who you are, where you're from, how much money you make, what you believe in, something's coming for you, right? It's like the Grim Reaper saying, hey, just so you know, I'm coming to get all you motherfuckers. <laughs> so yeah, we're, we're coming for you guys. Seriously. And so every day is like preparation for that inevitable uncertainty that's going to come. So you can either prepare yourself by slowly and every day getting outside of your comfort zone, strengthening your resilience, your grit, your mindset, your emotional savviness, or you can choose comfort. And when that big thing comes or many small things, you'll be taken out. Yeah. Or literally. (laughs) (laughs) There's always that possibility too, man. So before we start to wrap it up here, man, I also want to talk about how we can begin to wrap our minds and our actions around risk. Because I know that was one thing that was signature about my childhood was I was not a risk taker. And I used to think my son was more of a risk taker than me, but I even see him being like, "Eh, I'm not going to jump off that really high thing today. My daughter's a whole different story. She's like, let's go ahead first. (laughs) But if we're not naturally risk takers, and like you said, we're all oriented towards survival anyway, how do we begin to make decisions that involve risk. Yeah. So like you said, we're naturally risk averse because we are survival based. So you're already going against the grain wanting to take risk. I think what you have to understand is that no risk is a risk. Okay. So if I choose not to grow, then quote unquote, I die a little bit and then I get weaker and then I lose a little bit more confidence in myself. And that confidence then starts to bleed into my self-respect, into my ability to adapt when uncertainty comes. So just know that not choosing to take risk is also a risk. So you have to understand those spectrums first, but let's say you understand that. You'll be more inclined to take risk because then the risk, well, either way is your choice, but the upside of taking a risk is the wisdom that you'll learn, the skill set that you'll cultivate, and just the emotional juice that life has to offer when you live in that risk. If you think about all the times in your life where it was the most exhilarating, like mean you learned the most, you got the most from it, chances are they came in a quote unquote riskful situation. 
Maybe you spoke your truth in the relationship and you weren't sure if they were going to agree, stay in the relationship or leave. That's a risk. But because you did, they matched it and your level of love grew deeper. You know, maybe the risk was you married her and you said, I do. That's a risk, but it worked out because now you have two beautiful kids. Maybe the risk was leaving your corporate job because you were miserable and the leadership didn't believe in you. And every day you were dreading it. And you said, you know what? I'm going to start my own business. That's a risk. But now you get to create your own schedule. You're making more money than you did at, at the other place. And you're actually doing things that matter and creating an impact wherever you go. I think that's awesome, man. And also that you might take that risk and say your truth in a relationship and then she dumps your ass. And in the moment, you're like, oh, damn, maybe that wasn't worth it. But then a few years later, you're like, oh, man, I'm so glad that <laughs> I'm so glad that that didn't work out because this relationship I'm in is way better. It, there's not always that instant gratification when it comes to risk either. And we have to remember yes. that, too. That's great. Thank you for adding that, because either way, it always works out in your favor. It may not seem like it at first, but it always does. So you can either be aware of it on the front end or time somehow, some way, some, at some moment will slap you in the face with it. Yeah, but it's coming. As long as you continue to take risks. And I like what you said, because I think really that's the only guarantee that we can give is that taking risks in your life does draw out some of that juice of life, some of that excitement, some of that zest, making you feel alive. Just cliff jumping, right? I hate cliff jumping because that feeling I get in my stomach. But once I'm off and I'm like, and I'm like falling, I'm like, this was so worth it. I feel alive. And you spring up out of the water. You're like, oh man, that scared the shit out of me. I think I pooped a little and I feel great because I took a risk on myself. I took a chance. And like, you don't always have to take the most massive amount of risk. Like there's micro risk and then there's macro risk. So now by no means are we saying put the mortgage on on this next deal of yours and go for it. Like their stages, depending on where you're at, may depend on how risky the risk is. But not going through with risk, I think, is the biggest risk. There you go. Just got Zen on us right there. You got some like art of war, you know, <laughs> Sun Tzu uh, dropping it on us. All right, man. We pulled so much wisdom out of you, dude. I'm convinced that, man, you just got so much incredible stuff to offer. I really appreciate you bringing it here. Before we wrap it up all together, I'm going to hit you with a couple lightning questions. So top, top of the dome. What is one thing you've learned in your life you wish you knew when you were 18? Do things because I love doing them, not because of what everyone says I should do. Yeah, I love that one. And what do you think is the most important value to have as a man? Integrity. One book or resource you think every man could benefit from? Mindset. Carol Dweck. Sweet. Okay, man. And last but not least, where can the good people find you, follow you, get involved in what you're offering? Tell us about what you're doing too. So guys yeah. can come check you out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for having me on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. I know there's going to be more in the future. I, I always love talking to you, Gary Energy and such an incredible host. And I love the work that you're doing. I lead mastermind groups. I have my own events back before 2020. They were live. Now they'll probably switch to hybrid. I do one-on-one -on -one coaching and I have a podcast of my own, which you've been on talking about your experience as a father. So appreciate that. And if you want to get a hold of me or just want to share any feedback or ask any questions, I'm always down to serve and help anywhere I can. So my, I'm sure you're going to post this in the show notes, but James underscore Silvis, S-I-L-V-A-S on Instagram. That's usually where I am most. So I think that would be the best place to start and everything's linked up in my link tree. Awesome, man. 
Well, I'm liking talking to you more and more every conversation that we have. I agree. There's many more things for us to chat about and we'll just kind of earmark this page and pick it up again next time. I wish you the best with your family because that to me, that's the most important job on the planet. And it looks good on you, dude. From what I can tell, you're doing a fantastic job, man. And I appreciate you taking time from your family to be here and to just drop bombs. It was like an aerial assault on the <laughs> podcast today. <laughs> I'm sweating over here. (laughs) I'm just sharing what were the bombs for me. So it's just a constant exchange of information. Heck yeah, dude. Appreciate you, bro. And look forward to having you on here again. That was a powerful transmission from my bro, James, a man who I'm just getting to know and really, really enjoying his skill set, his experience, and the way that he delivers that wisdom. Bringing the science down to earth for people, I think is a really important role in our society because so many of us desire that factual evidence, that science-based research to validate what we already feel in our bodies. And I think James does an incredible job of doing that. So I encourage you to follow him, get involved in what he's doing. He's an amazing dude. And at the very least, listen to his transmissions on his podcast, because as as great of a guest as he is, he's also an amazing host. So go check out my man today. Reminder to go to risingman.org to check out our Rising Man Fire Circles, our Inferno Circles, and our Spring Compass Group. Our fall group is filled now, so any of you guys want to come out and fast are going to have to get your reservations in for the spring season. And trust me, they're going to go by fast. So we've got 10 seats to be claimed right now. If one of those seats has your name on it, go apply at risingman.org right now. You can also check out links and resources for every show episode that's been put up there at risingman.org. Please subscribe wherever you're listening to the podcast or wherever you're watching the podcast. If you've been to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the rising man movement, go subscribe, go check it out, leave your messages, leave your comments, share it up with your family, with your brothers, with your sisters, with everybody who needs to hear the rising man message. And also follow us on Instagram at Rising Man Movement because that's a great way to keep spreading the culture, the Rising Man culture. Shout out to my power team, Rowan, Sean, Julian, Ryan, and Mark. This is going to be our biggest, baddest year ever. It already is. And we still got a whole half a year left. Well, a little less than half, but we're going to make the most of it. So thank you, fellas, for everything that you do. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.